it's not just machines, it's people. It's highly trained, mm -hmm. highly skilled artists across all different disciplines who've spent years refining their craft. So like the people are the most important thing. When you look at those credits and you see a mile long visual effects credits, that that is sometimes not the entire, in fact, a lot of times not the entire crew because oh. you're only allowed a certain amount of number of people you can put on based on the number of shots you've done a lot of times. So oh, I didn't know that. You might you might not be seeing the entire thing. And that visual effects credit in, in a lot of shows is gonna be pretty lengthy. So there's a ton of people from, you know. PAs to coordinators to producers to IT infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, it takes a it takes an army of IT to make sure that we can do the work because we're using a lot of computing power. But what, what drive? That. Yeah, what drives that is is the the people who like are both like have a technical brain and a creative mind to be right. able to understand how to okay I know what I got to get to how do we get there technically. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. Visit www.petechapman.com to get your official director's chair wear, hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag, and learn more about your host. All right, folks, welcome to episode 47 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, our star today in this VIP special craft episode is none other than Ryan Kubovchik of Fuse FX. Now, this is for those of you who maybe, well, it's for everybody, but for those of you maybe haven't done a lot of VFX work or maybe you've dabbled in it and want to learn more. I just wanted to wrap with Brian about how things work in the VFX world, what a VFX supervisor is looking for, how to best communicate with them, some of the technology, you know, just what goes into that dynamic and that relationship. So I hope you enjoy. I think it's a really fun combo. I learned a lot and it's one of those nuts and bolts things that we like to do here on the podcast. In other news, it is at the time of this recording, it is May 16th. The pod will drop on May 17th, and we are about to enter the conclusion of week one of negotiations for the DGA. Obviously, the writers have been on strike since the beginning of the month. No news to report for the DGA side of things, and there will be no news because any any good negotiation is, is kind of anchored by a closed room of conversation where folks can do what they need as they negotiate. And I'm sure when we hear something, we'll know what's up. So that's how it goes. But I am happy to see, you know, all the writers that I know are are doing their business and they've been on, on strike. They've been picketing. They've been hitting up different studios, usually the studio that is closest to where they live. But it's great seeing the support and the volume of writers out there campaigning and fighting for a fair contract. So, you know, I feel like we're in a holding pattern for information and we shall see how it all how it all pans out. The irony of all of this going on is today is the television uh, upfronts and we're seeing new shows that are, you know, being greenlit to go to series in a world where there are not writers to write them. but. I think that kind of speaks to the, I, I hesitate to, you know, the word choice really becomes specific, but that kind of speaks to perhaps the foregone conclusion of a deal being reached at some point, which is true. I mean, television and film is not going to go away, but uh, we shall see how it all works out. So again, we just ask that everybody be patient for a fair deal to be brokered and we continue to stand with the writers as they fight for their fair deal. And we will see what happens with the DGA. And then after that with SAG-AFTRA, which will begin their negotiations in June on the 7th to be exact. 
Other than that, nothing real to report from my end on the production end. I can say that I delivered the director's cut for my episode of Interior Chinatown. And yo, it's one of the, one of the, I'm almost, I, I almost want to say I'm, I'm most proud of, of this director's cut and of all the episodes I've done. And the reason being that the show is very specific. The showrunners and producers, Elsie Choi, Charles Yu, who wrote the book, he's a showrunner. Mira Kite from Participant. Elsie's from Ryback. You know, they were really looking for a director to interpret the script and left room for a great deal of collaboration and imagination. And for me personally, that's where I really feel like I can offer my best work and expand and enhance, you know, in a collaborative fashion, what was dreamt up on the page. So really happy about what we pulled off and can't wait for folks to see it whenever that will be. And yeah, in the meantime, you know, trying to work on my own ideas, get back to developing and writing for myself and, and handling daddy duty while my wife is on a, on a press tour in New York this morning, she was on the view and she's got some more press coming up. So real dope to see her getting a lot of messages from friends with videos of, Oh, look at Kelly. So I, I feel like that's, that's dope. I'm super excited and proud. And as I've said before, can't wait to see what she does next in her beautiful career with her amazing talent. But with that, let's get into episode 47 with Brian Kabovchik from Fuse FX and see what a VFX supervisor gets into in this craft episode from Let's Shoot with Pete Chap. Speed. The interview. Take one. All right. So we're welcoming Brian Kabolchik to the podcast. And this is one of those craft episodes that I, I am happy to do. I'm going to be very excited to learn today from Brian. But uh, let's dive in. We're going to get into your world as a VFX supervisor. So thanks for welcome having to me. The pod. Uh, Appreciate thanks you. for being so I'm thinking, man, it, it, remind me if I, did we, did I meet you on Blacklist when yeah, I was shadowing? Like, yeah, it was like 2015. 2015, shadowing on Blacklist. That was the first, no, no, that was the second show I ever shadowed. Thank you to the Sony program. I was in there for comedy, but I ended up shadowing the Blacklist. <laughs> yeah, and you get everything on the Blacklist. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you know, let's kind of before we dive into all the craft of it all, where are you from? How'd you how'd you find your way into this world of of storytelling? So I originally from Virginia, North Carolina area, and went to school for philosophy and religion. And instead of writing a paper at the end of my studies, I decided to make a short film. And my teacher didn't know how to take that. Like no one's ever done that because I was just sick of writing papers and I put together a short film with a friend of mine. Started getting into editing from there, then ended up relocating to New York and starting out a boutique editorial shop in New York City that did mostly commercials, music videos, and, uh, you know, worked my way out from the machine room to assistant editor. And then they got a, what's called a flame, which is an Autodesk product. And I, uh, they said, Hey, will you take care of this data management? And I was like, sure. Mm. A couple extra shackles. And I was like, all right, I'm down. And so at night I would just sit there and get the data management done. And then I'd put together the script, like the actual work that the artist was there doing that day. I'd rebuild it myself, just kind of using the template, started getting into visual effects and then decided that's, that's my thing. Were you doing that? Was that like on your own? Like, so you could learn kind of reverse engineer what they were doing? Yeah. And so I was, I was doing, I was an assistant editor at the time, but then that piqued my interest and then jumped into visual effects head on and worked my way through that from about. 2008 through 15, started getting into set work for commercials and then Fuse Effects, which is a company I, I worked for. They contacted me in 2014, 2015, somewhere in there to come in as a VFX suit because I had been out on set quite a bit for commercials and it was actually the blacklist I came in for. So I met you sure. right as I was starting an episodic world. Wow. Okay. Now I have, I have two little questions along the way. What what was the short film about that you did? Because did it did it merge your 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 major and and into like the narrative or like what what was the design of what you did? 
it did. It's pretty dark, but my my, my capstone class was on the biblical apocalypse. So it was like studying about, you know, different religions, end of world stories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, specific story beats and how it relates to numerology and all sorts of crazy ideas. And so I ended up spending about a year watching televangelists on TV talking about the end of the world. Pretty dark place to be in, but then piece it all together as if you were watching this all play down, you know, one after another, like static popping up between. So I hit all the story beats that I needed to for the studies. Right. And, but made it entertaining and engaging. And so and ended up just kind of realizing, oh, I can tell stories too. Was, that the, was, professor, was the professor impressed? Yeah, yeah. Got the okay. A. Got the A. Got the A. Yeah. And then the other question I have for you, was there like, was this something that you had been wanting to do, like make short films or, or tell visual stories? Or like, how did you have the inkling to move in that direction to get the grade in that course? I think that, you know, I think that I've always kind of viewed myself as a creative person first and foremost. And, you know, whether it's music or visual storytelling or, you know, writing, it's all just, those are just tools in the, in the toolbox. Right. And so I, I fell in love with music first and pursued that. But then, you know, by making, by doing that project, I, that was where I really realized, oh, this is another tool in the toolbox that I can add. So kind of just building up all these different skills and, and understanding different aesthetics and, you know, different genres within music kind of informed the way I approach visual storytelling, understanding different genres there. Um, you know, it's just kind of you sponge up as much as you can over time. Right, right. All right. So let's get into it, man. I was saying before we hopped on or before before I hit record that I probably could have talked to you sometime before January 17th when I started prep on the finale for Dead Boy Detectives, which was it was an HBO Max show when I started. And when I when I rapped, <laughs> it's a Netflix show. But it comes from a DC comic book, Neil Gaiman, Sandman series. And the finale had a lot of stuff. I'll be vague because I don't want to step mm-hmm. on anything. But like, you know, what stunts with wire pulls, a lot of green screen yep. um, and some explosions and, and whatnot. So I can, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of, probably hop in with specific questions that kind of I've taken from that journey. But like when you get an episode of TV, since that's where we're kind of living right now in this combo, like what do you do first as the VFX supervisor? So I'll, you know, break down a script and I'll usually start by reading, you know, the action first, mm-hmm. just to kind of paint the picture of where we're at and what's the broad strokes. And then once I've made it through there, I will go back and read the dialogue again. Um, that's just my own personal process mm. of doing that. Because then once I, I know kind of the players in the story, I can then kind of build what their their personality is. And that that can inform visual effects. Uh, uh-huh. But the the fastest way for me to kind of understand the scope in terms of the, being a department head is what do I think is going to be visual effects based on my experience? And what can the budget of the show bear? And where, can, where do we want to place the visual effects dollars, mm. you know, and get the best creative in the places that matter the most. Interesting. So, so it seems to me that it's important that screenplays are properly formatted, right? Mm-hmm. Because like if, if it seems like maybe it's, it wouldn't happen that often, but sometimes like I'll read something and it will be unclear of whether or not this is actually in the scene. And mm-hmm. so I, I was wondering if, if that happens when you read on that first dialogue pass, have you found that, some VFX categorized events are being tucked in dialogue, like and not properly carved out ever. Yeah. I mean, it can be as simple as a phone comp if if it's not listed as a as like someone's got their phone up, but someone says, like, you know, let me text this person. Oh, right. okay. That that actually might be someone pulling it up there, but we just don't have the action dialogue. So it's kind of a two-step process that right. dialogue informs it, but I think that the action beats speak to it right away as to what are the what are the big things for me to focus on to make sure the director's vision is carried out, you know, as best as possible. Right. So that's a, for all the writers, make sure you are properly formatting your scripts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like my wife was doing a, a read for something and and we were kind of going back and forth. I was like, it sounds to me like there's a baby in this scene, but it was a a, a bit of a diversion. 
And mm-hmm. there is a way where you could write like what appears to be a baby, but it was kind of written as baby. And so I'm knowing when I see something in caps, I'm like, it's in the scene, yes. you know, and and yep. that can really take you on, off to, on the wrong path. What What's the difference for you? Because you're talking about a show where you know the budget. What if it's the you're being approached to come on to the show and present what that budget might look like. Like, is a show saying, here's what we want to spend? Or are they saying, Brian, we're, here's the here's the pilot and, and here's what we're, you know, are they looking for you to kind of present an estimate? Well, yeah, usually the way it'll go down, I'm a vendor side supervisor, so I work for a company. And there's two different kind of worlds. There's the independent supervisor who goes all the way through post and mm-hmm. there's multiple vendors working on it. Whereas myself, I'm a vendor side supervisor where I'll see it through and I've built a team of visual effects artists who are going to carry it out. So I kind of, I will always put together a bid with it, but I first and foremost will lead with creative. I'll probably read it and understand what the story is and then do a creative deck based on some, you know, based on the script that has some, you know, some stills, some like really great concepts that kind of speak to the story beats and how visual effects could play a role in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's, you know, live, whether it's links with motion video or or just stills, I'd start creative first and then send that along with a bid. And the bid is, you know, it's, you just see, you're just like, <laughs> you see what's up. You just trying to, you know, throw something at the wall and, and make some assumptions. Right. And then you, you know, you, you do your best to try to understand, okay, who are the players and how big do we think this is? And then that, will support it if I if I see that there's a, a big if there's a Godzilla in the scene coming through that's definitely visual effects and I know they gotta right. have some money to do that right. uh, but you know they, it just depends on the show but I always leave with creative and come with come with ideas okay and so are, in this in this stage who are most of your conversations with I guess on the side of the show it'll be you know it's usually a joint conversation with the directors line producer and the studio uh, and it might not all happen in one one room it might be multiple meetings it's just kind of a meet and greet if it's not an existing relationship where i've worked with this crew before and just you know talking to them and telling them who i am and and what we can bring to the table because you know throughout our entire company we can bring a lot of resources to bear so if the pressure point is hey we got to create this show and get it on air in six months and there's a bunch mm-hmm. of visual effects well that's going to inform like okay how do we put together a plan to, to it to accomplish the work. Like there's the creative side of it, but then there's the execution. So how do we figure all that out? So at the beginning, I'm, I'm trying to map out what the, what, what the course of action is to make everyone feel like we're going to get this done. It's going to look great um, because that's what we do. Right. So I guess let's build an imaginary scenario. So then we can kind of like move like down the assembly line here in this world where the, the, the budget's already been determined Obviously, there's some wiggle room episode to episode. Uh, well, let me not say obviously. It, it is is it is the show working with a pot of money that they would love to split evenly, but they are making some adjustments as needed per script? Yeah, I think that, especially if it's a new series, you want to come out with a bang and come out swinging on the first one. So it might mm-hmm. come in uh, with more visual effects needed that are planned. Let's say because there's kind of two different things. There's the planned visual effects and there's the unplanned visual effects. What would be um, some examples of that? Uh, a Godzilla walking through the scene, gotta be a planned visual effect. Right. Um, shooting a dolly, you know, a dolly moves in an old town and you've got window, 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 and you see mm. dolly grip, dolly grip, camera <laughs> operator. And, and so rebuilding that whole, that whole town scene behind them to get rid right. of them, that's the unplanned stuff. And you call that out on the day of like, hey, can we maybe just like, can I go three-quarter angle here and maybe loosen right. that? But, but a lot of times it's just, you know, there, there's the weighing on set of like, you, you speak up and you say, hey, this would be ideal to not do that. But ultimately, mm-hmm. it's not my decision. I'm there in service of the story, in service of the director. And then, you know, just saying this, it would cost a little bit less if we didn't see the windows. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. And I mean, it really does help for, obviously, like you're, you've got someone there on set to help point these things mm-hmm. out, but it really does help for the filmmaking team to have an understanding of that. So you don't have to tap on their shoulder every every 20 minutes about something that's going to be 
a financial, you know, expense. For sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, most people see it, but we've, we've all been in those situations where we got to shoot, shoot, shoot. And, you know, you can't, you need to get the shot to, whether you're losing light or you're running out of time in the day, those things will happen. And so, you know, I try to, I try to make sure that we're, we're the creative voice for Karen's visual effects and not be the person that's like, well, the budget, because nobody wants to hear that when you're, when you're in the trenches and you're making a film, it's like, no, we got that. We'll figure it out later. Right. We got you. Do, do, do your thing. We know it's going to cost more to keep this crew of 200 people here an extra 25 minutes to figure out a different camera angle than it is right. for me and my team to go in and clean this up for maybe if it makes it in the cut you know, a second. Right. Right. So, so we've, you've broken down the script. Mm-hmm. You've made, you've made your idea of like how many shots are going to mm-hmm. be needed. How are you, how are you doing that? Are you, are you taking the language of the show and kind of making assumptions based off of like how you think the show would want these moments covered? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's getting a feel for who the director is in those moments. That's not always the way it goes, uh, but yeah, it's it's making an assumption kind of just based on the experience of being on set for so many years and seeing you know small budget to very big budget being created and trying to get a sense for what it is. So you know, if it's a green screen driving scene, I'm gonna count every time someone's got a line inside the car. So that's how I figure out the cuts for that. But you know. You know, a creature walking through there, that could be one shot. It could end up being 13. It depends on, you know, just breaking down a script. It's really hard to tell that stuff unless there's very specific beats like this cheetah jumps on this person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's just a, it's just a guesstimate. And then once you start getting the, the actual, you know, departmental meetings, you start refining what's what, that's when you start to get a clearer picture. But to to land to land the job, you know, it's it's a lot of assumptions and just being malleable and just saying like, you know, I'm making this assumption here. I don't know if that's the thing, but I'm open to anything. We can figure it out. And just being a good team player, a good creative partner. Yeah, that was that was the part that was new to me on the show that I did because that first budget was presented. It's got every single moment identified where it's for certain, like you said, it's, mm-hmm. it's Godzilla. Yeah. And here's how I'm going to shoot that. Like you're, you, it kind of flips your preparation in a way. But while in the time between, let's say, that first budget being presented to the production team during prep, and then, you know, the director mulling things over and trying to figure out what they're going to do, what are, what are you and your team doing in the interim when you're waiting for some more like specificity on how many shots it will be or whether or not it'll be green screen or, Hey, I'm not even going to put a camera on that. I'm going to let that play off camera. Like, what are you guys mm-hmm. doing at that point? You know, it can be, it can be any number of things. It could be doing concept imagery. Mm. Like, let's say we've got, we've got some creature that isn't of this, of this world. We got to figure, start figuring stuff out. If we're, if we're on the show, like we got to get going, we got to get cracking. We got to figure this out. At least that being that creative partner, developing concept imagery, doing some previs, you know, even if it's grayscale previs to help inform camera movement, which, you know, informs the creative and the way we're telling the story to then also affects the the bid and how we would adjust, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much of this world do we see that we need to create? Because oftentimes it's just one piece of foreground with one actor and then we're building the whole world behind it. Right. What are some general, for someone who maybe doesn't fully I don't want to say fully understand it, but maybe is 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 new to the world of what you do. What are some like, I don't know, like some basic principles that you could share that might help them understand how to best collaborate with you? I think it's, you know, it's just, for me, it's about communication and just to reach out and don't be afraid, like whether or not you have the the knowledge of it, like, that's not a director's job. The director's job is not to understand every facet of visual effects. Mm-hmm. Director's job is to say, hey, this is my vision. And this is what I think I want the camera to be doing. And from there, we understand what the, the pieces are to that. And then we'll explain that. So I think it's just about being open to communication and early communication. I think that the things, the, the shows that are most successful that have effects in it is like, you know, 
viewing it not as the uh, you know just someone who's going to be on set and and uh, and and say whether or not something's working or not, but an actual creative part that's going to see it all the way through because we're one of the few departments that can is actually going to take it from script all the right. way to the screen. Right. So after we're done shooting and the pieces you know fall in the edit and you now come up with a different idea, you still want to have that shorthand with that person. Like, remember we talking about Godzilla there? I think it's actually just this giant pterodactyl. Right. You know? Right. And so those, having that relationship built is important. So that starts really early on. So I think that's the first thing. In terms of technical stuff on set, I think it's just, if you're not comfortable with VFX, again, it's just, hey, you know, if, you're, if you have a question, is it okay if I shoot this? And then oftentimes, you know, if it's, if it's a, if it's going to mean that we have to add a big CG moment to the scene, I might say, well, you know, it's not really what we're after here, but we can talk about it. But I think that if we got time ticking, I would try to just reframe the camera. And if you, you know, and then just trusting that that person has the best interests of the show at heart, because they might be saying no to this new ask because they know that the money that would cost has already been like, put to this other big thing that we really need to tell the story that we can't do in camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are it's you, protecting the things that you're after. Right. Are you, are you fully aware of the budget at all times or are you kind of, you know, like, I, like I'll say from the variety of different shows that I've done and not even VFX specific, like sometimes like you kind of trying to get a sense of where what's there. And sometimes yeah. you're like, Oh, you got more than I think, you know, and, and it, and it might just be a little something that kind of makes you raise your eyebrow and, and recognize like, Oh, I can do that. They don't, they don't necessarily want to do it or it's not like, you know, it's not, they, they might be satisfied with less, but like this would be great, a great way to tell the story and they can, absorb it but they're they've just made it very cryptic that the money is there like do you have to walk that line as well a little bit yeah and there's there's oftentimes like if we're you know we're just if we're serving in a vendor capacity only and there's an independent supervisor we don't know the overall overall budget we'll Mm -hmm. oftentimes get sent something after it's shot and say hey can you break can you budget this and then we'll send it back and we don't know the full budget of the show but in the case of being the vendor side supervisor where we see it from script to screen for all the episodes, we're developing that that budget along. We might not know the full pot that's mm-hmm. there, but you know we know what we've bid and that's what we have to, to stay within, right. at least in the shooting moment. So that's the time when we know it and that's, you know, that's us doing right by our studio partners uh, and, and making sure we're not blowing up the budget and, and creating stuff that we're, we're not planning for. So it's, yeah, it's being creative partners to the creatives on set, but also, you know, the people at the studio who, who have helped make the show and, and made it possible. So, Have you had any experiences where a director's kind of running off the rails in terms of what being realistic about what they have the capacity to do in collaboration with you and your team? And if so, who is most responsible or who was responsible for kind of having that conversation to rein things in and get it back into the, into the, you know, pocket of what the show does. In my experience, it's typically, typically going to be the line producer, you know, you present a bid and say, this is, this is the full buffet of visual effects that's, that we've mm-hmm. talked about. Now we, we all know that that's not exactly what's going to end up being shot. We all know that's not what it's going to end up in the edit, but this is what we know at this moment. So you present that snapshot in time and the line producer will take that and go, okay, I've got all these different departmental budgets. I got to figure out how to Jenga everything together and yeah. figure out where can we, you know, we, we want to really sell this, this fully digital environment. We need that. So where can we find, it's not necessarily a visual effects budget. It might be another departments or we've got a giant explosion that we want to do practically. And so we don't want to do any visual effects on it, even though we'll oftentimes, you know, remove the special effects rigging, maybe right. enhance a little bit, you know, they'll, they'll say, okay, we're going to make that small for visual effects and we'll just do enhancements and it will be a primarily practical effect. So right. it's always, it's always a kind of a, you know, just a moment to 
just be, like I said, malleable and, and say, okay, we, you know, tell us what you need from us and we will make the best plan to make it look great. Right. So without, without me hopping in and hopping out, like what, what more can you tell us about the process moving forward from kind of where we, where we've landed so far from, you know, the prep to the initial prep from receiving the script, kind of early Mm -hmm. meetings, like kind of run me through what happens uh, next from your side of things. From there, it's like, you know, look at that one liner, start planning (laughs) out your days. What are the elements we need on set and what's going to be us in visual effects? Letting your AD team know that if we got to scan something, lining up vendors to come in and, and make digital representations of a set or one of the actors mm-hmm. or a prop. So lining up all that, getting it ready to go. And that, you know, you know, I, I have done that myself. It also falls to coordinators who are on the show, visual effects coordinators. And, uh, you know, just prepping for that shoot, being as prepared as possible, understanding the boards, what are we after? We, you know, just as much prep as possible, then go into the day. Uh, on set, we are capturing as much data as possible. So tons of reference photography, tons of camera data. Is that what light, what's LIDAR? I LIDAR is the scanning, yeah. Okay. And what does that stand for? Light and light infrared detection ranging. I, I always forget it off the top of my head, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's shooting fancy lasers around. It's like echolocation, but for visuals. So imagine the way the dolphin pings out and gets information back. It's right. basically sending something. It's sending, it's sending a light light out to it and receiving it back. And then it builds a, a 3D representation of where you're at. Gotcha. And another yeah. term I heard a lot was SRDI. Oh God, it was some kind of photo that was taken. Oh, uh, HDRI? HDRI. There you go. And yeah. what, what's that high definition? Yeah, high dynamic range imagery. So we're, we're taking usually on a fisheye, you know, an eight mil, we'll shoot all the angles, including up. Mm-hmm. And we'll do, you know, three to five, maybe more than that brackets, depending on how many things. So you're shooting the, the darkest darks to the lightest lights. So you get all that information in between mm-hmm. and you get a full dome. So you take that dome and let's say, you know, you've got a scan of the physical set you're in. Right. And we want to place a Godzilla right here. Well, I'm going to go shoot an HDR right there so that when we need to light that CG creature, Right. All of that imagery goes into it. So all of the detail in the eye that you get a close up on Godzilla's eye, we need to see out there to the river or right. wherever he, wherever Godzilla's messing up. And you, you get all that detail information of the either the location you're actually at or, you know, some other place that you need to be. But it's helpful for understanding where the set lights, where's the sun, because mm-hmm. all that stuff, you know, lighting is one of the most important things, uh, right. especially for CG. So... It's, uh, it's just, it's that moment in time to capture that and understand how we're going to light this, this object. So it's, it's like a photo real representation of, of, of what it should look like. So if you are creating or enhancing, you're keeping the, you're keeping the, it's true to what it should feel like. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a visual representation that we actually use to light the objects. And so we're feeding the, the color temperature in the sun onto that at the right direction, Hmm. you know, because if you get a certain, like a harsh shadow behind them and all of a sudden your lights over here on the creature, well, that's going to give it away. So you you have to have it in the right position. And that's just, you know, that's part of the data that's captured. We also, there's just, we have a, in VFX have to have a, a really fundamental understanding of how cameras work. Right. Because we work, you know, we work with so many different cameras and like, what are the lens dynamics? What, where, how far is that? How big is that sensor? What are, what's the crop we're using? Right. Because all that informs like when you have a camera moving on set and Godzilla's got to go in there, we need to rebuild that camera in the 3D representation called camera tracking so that we can place that thing in there so it moves properly and set. And then the HDR lights it so that it looks properly within the scene. There's just a lot of technical stuff that happens on the day. And that's that's why you'll see us. Yeah, you'll see a small visual effects army on a lot of a lot of productions. And one more one more question about that before we get into the army. When you're actually doing that work in post, are you like able to input specific focal lengths and whatnot? And and that's how you're able to, you know, like that's what you're saying when you need to know what a lens does. So you can put input, it's a 35 millimeter, you know, it's a this is our F stop, and you can really 
almost treat the digital space as if it's being filmed by a camera? Yeah, I think it's it's not even thinking about it. Like we're we're not even thinking about it separated. We're trying to recreate what's happening in the real world, like uh, through a camera, through what's yeah. happening. And so understanding where that, how that set was placed, like what, what are the dimensions is where LIDAR comes in yeah. and how do we light it properly and what's the camera doing? All that, it's just, it's based in real life. And that's what our ultimate goal is to, to make it photo real so that the viewer goes, was that visual effects? Right. Obviously we know certain creatures <laughs> are not of this world, but you know, there's lots of things that you'd see and you'd have no idea. Yeah. That, that's awesome, man. Now that, that like, that I never thought about it that way. So this explanation is is super crisp. And it's amazing now too, like how many things, like you're saying, like the most basic of a scene could be the volume. <laughs> you know, it could be, it could have a, a high degree of visual effects. And it's just like, there's so many different reasons why that decision's being made to capture it in that particular way. Hi, I'm Shiri Appleby. You may know me as Liz Parker from Roswell. I've also directed episodes of Imprisoned, Minx, Young Sheldon, and you are listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weasley Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots. Transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school to running a production company to directing television and commercials and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration. This book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook from Michael Weezy Productions is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your local mom and pop shops, people. Who is in your army, right? So like on those days, if I guess if you could paint the picture of like when you've got your team at full capacity, like kind of what, who are those people and what are they doing? You've got a visual effects supervisor who is standing with the director and the DOP and making sure that, you know, that we're, we're all looking at the same thing. We're all making sure we're understanding the creative and, and cause it, it'll shift on the day. It always does. Right. And so just being that resource and talking about what the ultimate goal is, that's what the supervisor's role is in that moment, but also, and there's a visual effects producer a lot of times on set who is, you know, taking notes about how a certain scene went to, you know, have some real-time reporting of, okay, this is what we budgeted. Here's the things that got added. Right. Right. You have a team of data wranglers, you know, have a senior wrangler who might lead a smaller team. We have outside vendors who do LIDAR and that might be, they pull up with a scan truck and you send all the actors through in costume and they get their picture taken and we create a 3D model of them. And then people who are out there with the LIDAR scanners that spin around and they're seeing the environment and recording that. VFX PAs who do, you know, a pretty similar job to, you know, set PAs, but for the visual effects world, just very specific things. Hey, you know, I need, I need an SD card. Can you run and get that? Right. Those sorts of things helping the, the wrangling team. It's a, that's, you know, on the bigger productions. Right. For me, for, you know, on a TV show, you oftentimes don't get that luxury. Mm. So it, it might just be me. And so I gotta, I have to figure out how to creatively capture the things I need to. Right. But make sure that everyone's getting taken care of. And oftentimes, you know, I'll lean into make sure the creative's taken care of and I will get the data as best I can. And I have mm -hmm. ways of doing it. You'll see me hustling around set. That, uh, those are the days on, you have a camera around your neck. You got oh, some yeah. media cards in your back pocket. <laughs> yep. So yeah. it just depends on the production. Like I've worked on small stuff to big stuff. They all are their own animal, just like every production. Right. And right. I, I enjoy them all in their own specific ways. Right. Very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> so when we get to post, now what's the world look like? Every Obviously, there, were, there, was, there was the, the budget. Then the director said, oh, I, I can do that in five, five cuts. I don't need eight. And then they shoot it and somebody made a list of like, looks like they're adding coverage in here. Now it's, yep. you know, it's 10 cuts to make it work. But... Like once you get to post and you're dealing with the the reality of what you've got, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and what you're marrying those, the effects to, 
how does that process unfold? I think it's it's informed by the day, like those the those set reports kind of give an indication of where things are headed. And that's sent to the editorial team and starting to build that relationship with the post team mm-hmm. uh, and the post producer. And then the the director continues on through in certain instances. I'm sure you've experienced where you go shoot and then as the director and then you you get your one cut and then all of a sudden you show up, you, you see it on air. And it's like, well, that's not the cut I thought it was going to be. Right. So it, it just depends on the production. But, you know, it's it's really about that editorial team and and vibing with them because so much of what we do has to get funneled back through them. So making sure all the technical stuff is right. So as we start getting turnovers, we'll, we'll do, you know, we'll do round trip tests to start just to make sure all the technical specificity is locked down. We're good to go so that as we're like really starting to get to the work, we don't have to continually think about, Oh, well, this is actually technically incorrect or the aspect ratio is wrong or, or the delivery on this file formats wrong. So that's the first step. Like, let's just get the tech out of the way. And then we'll do spotting sessions, whether that's with an independent visual effects supervisor when we're the vendor or where the we are the vendor side soup, we're talking to the director or we're talking to the editor. We'll do a spotting session where we'll go through things and talk about, okay, they've got shots labeled. We'll say, all right, you want to add Godzilla in this scene? What does Godzilla need to do? Because I see this car getting crunched. Right. Is it, are we still doing that? Is that still caused by his feet or is that a missile now? Like what, hmm. the, whatever the idea might have changed into that we don't know in that editorial phase. Right. And to be clear, I've never worked on Godzilla, but <laughs> it's a it's a great reference, though. Everybody knows what yeah. like when you when you said it, I was like, I know what the needs are for that. You yeah. know, I yeah. know what that looks like in the final stage. Speaking of final stage, are do you. Do different shows have a different philosophy around how far the effects should be as you move through like director's cut to network cut? Because there are some shows I've done where it's like, it's a placeholder or it might even just be like a card. And then there are others where I've had like very early passes. So there's an idea, like a reference to kind of, you know, look at, but it's not, the creature's not going to look like that. Like, is that, who is that driven by? Or like, how do you land on, on, on that? That'll typically be driven by us. Like we'll know, okay, we've made it through. Let's get some grayscale blocking together. If it's just a card that says like Godzilla stomps on car here. Mm-hmm. And that's a fully CG shot of a city and, and everything. There's nothing that was shot practically. That would definitely be one where we're doing that probably as production's happening. If not like well before then to inform uh, the story but just to provide that to editorial to have a slug in there in their timeline to be like, okay, this is how long that shot is. Is this action the right thing right here? They'll right. add sound to it. That'll be driven by director and us to make sure that like, hey, we got to, and, and the post producer to say, hey, we got to get this stuff in here so that we can get our edit locked. Mm-hmm. And then if they're like, yeah, that we're signed off on that and that grayscale world where, you know, it's, it's, it's just a rough model. It's like, yeah, that's going to work for timing. We're already developing that asset to make it look great in the background. Right. But that'll inform like, okay, it's a go. Let's let's create this camera. Let's create this car. Let's get this Godzilla stomp in it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there anything else about the process that we should we should tap it's just into? You should realize that the, it's not just machines, it's people. It's highly trained, mm-hmm. highly skilled artists across all different disciplines who've spent years refining their craft. So like the people are the most important thing. When you look at those credits and you see a mile long visual effects credits, that that is sometimes not the entire, in fact, a lot of times not the entire crew because you're only allowed a certain amount of number of people you can put on based on the number of shots you've done a lot of times. So oh, I didn't know that. You might you might not be seeing the entire thing. And that visual effects credit in, in a lot of shows is gonna be pretty lengthy. So there's a ton of people from, you know, PAs to coordinators, to producers, to IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes an army of IT to make sure that we can do the work because we're using a lot of computing power. But what what drives that is is the the people who like are both like have a technical brain and a creative mind to be able to understand how to, okay, I know what I got to get to how do we get there technically? Right. 
Would you say that CG artists? Yeah, that that's a. I, I love that you said that because that that is, you know, it it's kind of like anything that that works well and works seamlessly. Like you, it's like everything's underneath it. You just see the 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 well executed shot, the enhanced moment of whatever the script might have called for, or whatever epiphany was was had by the by the people collaborating. But then there's so much underneath to get that to happen, you know, let alone the technical shit. So yeah. Yeah. It's the people. Yeah. Would you say that you are probably in your position because you're probably a better, more of a people person and you know, are, are, are there, are there folks in this, in this world who are kind of really just into the computer, you know, yeah, and, and do for a sure. great job, but like, you're able to kind of move through both of those worlds and move back and forth. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we all have our strengths. Mine has just, you said, I can, I can get into a room and, and feel comfortable talking to people. A lot of, a lot of our artists that this is what they do. They put on, they put on your podcast, Pete, and they get into it and they're just like, they're moving around and, 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 and creating shots, whether they're 2D artists or CG artists, but it takes a very specific brain to be able to, you know, to do that. And it's, they, they have training. So it's, there are those who I'm in my position because of that. Yes. Yeah. But I think that it, there's no, like they, we're all, we all have our roles to play. Right. And without those folks who just tune out the world and just look at the shot, I, right. these, these shots can't get created. Right. So now I got a couple kind of more general questions. I hope, I sure. hope folks have a better understanding of what you're doing in the process and what, and also how to approach the process. You know, I know mm -hmm. I'll speak for myself. There were definitely more things that I, than I had ever done where I was like, here's what I'm envisioning. It was kind of leading with that and not like, yeah, I know that's going to work out and it's going to be like this and that is, it was a lot of like, you know, well, what's the best way to get there and this and that, which, you know, is a level of collaboration that is great that sometimes get, can get lost when you're doing something that you just know how to do as a from muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it also ends up challenging you as a director to rethink, you know, some of the things. I mean, some a lot of it too. It was like not only the conversation with you, but then with the stunt coordinator, and mm -hmm. I'm getting all these good ideas, and it's like, oh shit, that's that's fucking better than what I was thinking. Like, yeah, okay, let's do that. You know, like yeah. So that that's what's great when you open yourself up to everyone's expertise. I'll ask you from, from all the work you've done, what's been your most challenging, you know, shot or sequence to create and yeah, whatever that answer might be. Uh, I, I, they're all, they're all challenging in their own way. I'd, I'd rather probably just put it as like, what are some of my favorite things? Okay. I think working on invasion for Apple, the show that was on Apple plus that was fun because I was living in New York and, you know, we were recreating the, the 59th street bridge. Hmm. And so I got to go up on the 59th street bridge in the middle of the night when they shut it down for us. Wow. And we took a plate car up on there and shot green screen driving plates. And then I got out there with LIDAR to be able to scan the bridge for a specific portion that we were going to build practically that then we had to build off of. That's and amazing. then got up on a hotel near there and shot a huge wide HDRI pano of the city to use as a map painting that we dropped in that we were then going to black out. So like that was, that was really rewarding because it was like really busy on the day, took a ton of planning <laughs> and prep and then got to be in some cool locations. Like who gets to stand in the yeah. middle of the, of the Queensboro bridge at, at 3am by yourself, just like this. Like, What's going on? I, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of like, I'm sure this is not the case, but I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, you come back with this, great thing and some asshole director's like okay <laughs> and you're like I, they shut down the bridge i was on the yeah. they're like yeah. hey can you make it more like this or where's I, I can't see the statue of liberty you know yeah it's and that's that 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 was that, that does happen but in this case <laughs> i got lucky because everyone like you you know what new york should look like i know what it should look like so right. i'm building it and i'm that's building incredible. it to real life yeah that's incredible i mean yeah that's awesome well, maybe, okay, I don't know if this ta uh, kind of tethers onto that, but what what's a sequence that's, that you kind of reference as like, oh, this blew me away? Whether it was anything that you did or a film that you've seen and you're like, man, that's like the high level mark of, of VFX in, in 
you know, whether it's in today's time or contextually, you know, 1982, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Star Wars is amazing, obviously. Like you gotta, that's that's some of the the, the people who, who developed the technology, like mm -hmm. understanding their history there, what went into to doing that when yeah. it didn't exist before and they're, they're figuring it out or it existed, visual effects has existed in some form or fashion since the, the beginning of film, but it just hadn't been called that this is the first time. Personally, my, my favorite stuff, and it's not like, not the most, the, the thing that probably people point to is Ghostbusters is uh -huh. like the thing that got me excited about visual effects when I was a kid. And then obviously Jurassic Park, but you know, looking at recent stuff, I love action sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, so like the John Wick glass building sequence, the motorcycle chase on the Verrazano, that stuff, I know how much visual effects went into it just from people who worked on it, but also just watching breakdowns. And those are really, those are really great things. And then, you know, there's the invisible effects that we don't necessarily see. I, yeah. I appreciate a lot. There's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Those are kind of just some, some things that, that jump to the front of my mind right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. What, I had one more question before we round third, but now I have two. How many projects can you supervise at one time? So uh, in my role here, I'm, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm the head of studio and, and senior VFX supervisor. So I am supervising a show myself, but mm -hmm. also have a, a team of supervisors that you know, I've, I've helped us, you know, get the, the work awarded and they're taking it over. And I, you know, we go along as a team at the beginning and then they fully take it over and they're the person that takes it all the way to the finish line. Gotcha. So, you know, you'll see, I uh, probably have more, it looks like I have more credits, but it's <laughs> it, a lot of it is, is helping to facilitate others in their career to land the jobs and, and to get on it and make sure that they're the right fit for it creatively and person as a personality too. And so, I kind of have my head in a bunch of different projects as a head of studio at any given time because I need to manage the studio and, and what's going on. But personally, I, I only ever do one at a time because it's just with family and running a studio. And, and mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, that's a lot right there. Right, right. Plus, you got that good vinyl collection back there. You got to have time oh, yeah. to listen to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay. And then, all right, before we round third. What excites you most about the future of VFX? And I'll also throw in, I don't know if it if you have an answer, but what scares you the most? Because I, I just consider like all this AI, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff that's happening now. Like there are people who are like, yeah, it's great. But it's also like that can be like, like you could, I was just on Twitter, like, you know, and, and Instagram. And there's like people toying around making fake images and headlines of news events. And I'm like, I know that's not real. But like that can that can go in a very weird direction. Yeah, I guess I'll start. I can just jump into AI. I mean, again, as it relates to storytelling with AI, I just view it as a tool. Mm -hmm. I don't think that AI is going to replace film crews. I don't think that AI can replace the artists who do it. It's a tool. At least that's my hope. So I guess that also scares me. But you know, for me, it's it's. The, the funny thing about AI is that like, we're just kind of just just barely starting to see it pop up because I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of lawsuits that go into yeah. it. And because and, yeah. each AI needs learning material. And where does that right. learning material come from? And what is it? Are we referencing a Hitchcock film to inform this thing that we're building? OK, well, who's are those images from a Hitchcock film going into that learning model? Right. And is that the thing that's, that's creating the neural model to, to build this scene, whatever that might be? Is that copyright infringement? So right. that's the thing that's like also interesting. What's going to shake out in terms of an, like the ethics of it all? Right. Yeah, it's um, almost like, so it sounds like in, in what we're talking about, it feels like people kind of stealing SDRI and LIDAR to make something. Yeah, it's possible. As a, as a metaphor, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah. That's the thing is that that's the thing that scares me is the murky ethics of it. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we all care about our crafts and a lot of people who created this material that's being used to drive these models, put a lot of thought, a lot of hard work, a lot mm -hmm. of hours into it. And so that, that 
both is exciting and scary because, you know, in terms of concepting, if I can come up with an image right now that feels fully refined to show to someone, that's amazing. Right. But what what was used to create that? I don't know. The thing that excites people are lazy also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I, I remember I, I, I shared a business plan one time and then I started getting people, random people asked me to review their business plan. I was like, this is mine, you know, because oh, no. it, ju- it just like went around within a, a, a kind of circle and people were just changing the information. And I'm like, you got you to do more than that, man, you know? Yeah. But that's the, that's, a, that's just human nature to some degree, right? Yeah. Path of least resistance and, and least effort. Yeah, people like the shortcuts. But that's a that's another interview. It uh, is. All right. The so thing that ex- excites me personally is building a team, a visual effects team. Mm-hmm. Like the these are my people, you know, they're 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 lovely human beings who work incredibly hard. And it takes so many people to to pull off this work, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the timelines that we have and the schedules we have. Right. So like, that's the thing that excites me is continuing to to lead a team at, at this company. So, right. That's awesome, man. Well, now, now here are the final questions. Three traits that you think are required to make it in this industry we call our own. Got to have a great attitude. Can't be an asshole. <laughs> I think critical thinking and um, empathy. I think, you know, when I, when I think about other departments and what we do to to pull this together when it comes to physical production. Right. I always try to lead with empathy of like trying to understand like, okay, what's that department got to do and trying to get to know their job enough so that I can right. anticipate like, and is what I'm asking for in visual effects like completely needed or is that a, it's a quality of life would be nice to have moment. Mm. And so mm. leading with empathy, I think kind of makes you a better creative partner um, and understanding how much effort a director is putting forward and trying to match that effort is also important. That's part of the empathetic side. I think those three things. That's awesome, man. Anything I haven't asked you that you'd want to share to make sure people understand about the process or the art form? I, I can't. Just just know that there's a there's a lot of good people making the work. Yeah. And you don't nobody nobody gets to see them. There's armies of visual effects artists throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. This has been great. I, I love getting into the craft and, and I've learned some stuff today. Plenty of it. I'm sure folks listening will as well. And any show in particular for folks to look out for coming from Fuse or from you? Um, you know, we are finishing up a couple of features right now. I think I can say, you know, we extraction too, I think. All right. All right. <laughs> we, we got the Netflix feature coming out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot cooking and it's, you know, there's a lot happening. So we're, we're, we're always creating. It's exciting. I love it. Well, look forward to working with you again, man. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm excited to see what you're doing. Oh, there is one thing. Yeah. What is it? You are, you are, you were there for one of my favorite onset moments of my entire life. And that was was last OG. Uh Uh-huh. 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 Being on set with Rakim Legat. Oh yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> that was yeah, like he, and he he's so reserved too. Like he's he like is. you're kind of like, oh man, you're like super cool and laid back, which I guess is expected. But yeah, yeah. man, no, that's like there's certain folks you 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 work with and you're like, ah, I'm gonna give you your flowers, but I'm gonna like take it down a notch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need to look at me like this fucking guy. Yeah. But yeah, no, man, I, I remember I had the cassette tape of Payton and Fold and I just listened to yep. it over and over and over again to like, yep. to the point I probably memorized like half of it in like a day. Yeah, I can remember my sister bumping it in the Subaru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was the last time we worked together. Hopefully we get to work together again soon. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate, appreciate, you. appreciate your yeah. time. All right. Yeah. Thank you. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. 
follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, folks, that was episode 47. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned and tune in next week for, of course, episode 48. But the information I have for you is not the number, but the guest. It'll be starring my man, Charles Murray, who you may know from Luke Cage. Currently, he's the showrunner on Outer Range. He's a writer, director, producer. If you saw True Story on Netflix, another great show with Kevin Hart and Wesley Snipes, really got to get into the nitty gritty of all those jobs and his journey from Indiana to to Hollywood and how he really carved out a unique position for himself as a storyteller. So in the meantime, as always, y'all stay safe, spread love and keep creating. And I will check in with you next week. Peace.